Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another post-mortem episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am your host, Aiden Grove, joined as always by our Cavaliers beat reporter, Chris Fedor. And the Cavaliers have now kind of really wrapped things up on this season. They had availabilities with Kobe Altman today. They had availabilities with the players and J.B. Bickerstaff yesterday. And yesterday would be Thursday and today is Friday. So the season is officially done. Um, I I think, Chris, the one takeaway, the, the one newsworthy thing that came up today was from Kobe Allman saying that they are sticking with J.B. Bickerstaff. They are not moving any, you know, in any other direction. I think he really gave J.B. a huge vote of confidence today um, with what he said, and uh, and he really feels like J.B. is uh, is is a good part of this thing going forward. Yeah, he didn't say that in the press conference. He said that to um, me and another outlet um, after the press conference. So I thought it was interesting because he did talk a little bit about J.B., and he talked about the job that he did and the responsibilities that he had and, and um, just how he was a key component of them turning this thing around, Hayden, and getting yeah. this team to a place where, you know, the Cavs are a respectable franchise in the Eastern Conference now. Um, they're not Milwaukee. They're not Boston. They're not Philadelphia. They're not on that tier with those teams. But they're a respectable team now in the Eastern Conference. And there were things that they accomplished in large part because J.B. Bickerstaff was at the center of it in terms of building the culture, getting the guys to buy in, um, getting them to trust his style and his philosophies and all those different things. But he wasn't asked specifically in the press conference, like, hey, are you fully committed to J.B. as your coach this year? And I thought that was kind of like lingering out there. And I continued to raise my hand and raise my hand and raise my hand. And there were a lot of people there that had a lot of different questions. And that one wasn't specifically asked. So I talked to um, the Cavs as the press conference was going on. And I said, hey, look, like if my question um, doesn't get an opportunity to be asked here in these 40 minutes because we're running out of time and I know you're going to cut this short, can I get Kobe on the side just to ask him the question that I would ask him in this press conference, and I may not have the opportunity to do that. So then I got an opportunity to talk to Kobe on the side, and I said, point blank, Kobe, you know, there's a lot of chatter about J.B. Bickerstaff. Are you fully committed to him being your head coach this coming season? And he said, absolutely. There's no question about that. Um, This is a guy that we believe in. 
Um, this is a guy who we should be willing to look at his accomplishments and the things that that he did for this organization beyond just a first round playoff exit against the New York Knicks. So I, I did think that was interesting because we talked about it the other night, Hayden. Like, would this kind of loss, this kind of lopsided loss in this postseason series against a team that the Cavs truly believe that they were better than and still do believe that they were better than, like, would that kind of loss um, spark something in Kobe and this organization to think about drastic changes moving forward? And it seemed like today, based on the response he gave me about JB, and the response that he gave publicly um, about not really overhauling the roster, um, it seems like it seems like Kobe believes that this group, as it is currently constructed with the core intact, is something that they still believe in, despite um, the loss against the Knicks in the playoff series. Yeah, it seemed like he, you know, in listening to what he had to say today, um, I wasn't there, but I, listening to, you know, what he had to say, it seemed like they were very excited about this group and the trajectory yeah. is in the right direction. And, you know, they, it, it, I think what he said specifically, and I think it was during the press conference, um, he said specifically, like, you know, yes, this is heartbreak. This is, you know, yep. this is tough. This is horrible. But at the end of the day, you know, we feel good about the trajectory we're on. We did some great things this year. We feel great about these guys. And we just got to learn from this and, and, you know, and be better. I mean, that's the bottom line. So um, I think that, again, Kobe seems pretty excited about the future, which leads, leads me to believe that maybe there aren't, you know, any, aren't any wholesale big-time changes coming. Yeah, the sense that I get, um, just in listening to Kobe today um, and having an opportunity to talk to him today and also talking to other people around the organization over the last couple of days, and I'm not saying that they're right, in this standpoint, but this is their belief based on everything that I've been able to gather. They don't believe that the roster as it is currently constructed is fundamentally broken and it needs fixed. Their belief is that it needs tweaked. Obviously, there are additions that are probably going to happen this offseason, but like it's not something where they say what we have in place is not good enough in terms of like a core, in terms of a foundation. Like what we have in place is not good enough, doesn't fit together, any of that kind of stuff. Like that's not where their head is right now. And look, if an opportunity arises this off season that is going to make them appreciably better and like it requires them thinking a little bit differently than, than what they were originally thinking going into this off season, then that happens and then you pivot and then you make adjustments based on that. But it seems like going into this off season that it's more, how do we add different components and complementary pieces to the main guys that we already have on this roster? It makes sense because, you know, when you look at the roster, the, the, the main foundation is there, right? The main foundation of guys, you have Evan, you have Jared, you have, um, you have Darius, you have Donovan. I mean, you have your kind of core four there. You have right. Isaac Cora, part of your core. I don't think you're going to, especially the way they play the postseason, I don't think, I don't think you're necessarily going to be looking in, you know, to get rid of him. And then you have mm-hmm. Pierce LeBert. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. You think, I, I, you think, think 
I think something is important here. Like there is a core four in place and we know what those core four are. It's it's Darius, it's Donovan, it's Evan, and it's Jarrett, right? Like the other guys that aren't in that group, and this doesn't mean that the Cavs are desperate to move on from them. And it doesn't mean that they're just going to send them away, right? But if you're not among the core four, then I think you're quote unquote expendable in the right deal if you feel it's going to make you that much better or if you can find a better fitting piece. And Isaac, I think Hayden is very, very interesting um, because he's very young. The Cavs like him a lot. He was the fifth pick in the 2020 draft. But if JB Bickerstaff, if JB Bickerstaff is going to go away from him as quickly as he did in the playoffs. And there were reasons for it, right? Like nobody in the NBA that shot um, more than 153 pointers this year had a defender further away than Isaac Okoro. And the average defender was nine feet away from Isaac. Okay. So there were reasons why JB was okay going away from Isaac because he felt like it was really messing with their spacing and he felt like it was making things more difficult on their offense. All I'm saying is if he was that quick to go away from him in a playoff series and the goal going into next year is going to be get out of the first round of the playoffs, win a playoff series. If the coach doesn't feel like he can trust him for the duration of that series, for as long as maybe some people would want him to, then can you use him as a vehicle to find somebody that is more of a two-way threat that JB would trust more in a seven-game series that would boost your rotation more in a seven-game series? It's something I do believe they would consider this offseason. Okay. Well, then let's talk about Karis Levert because he's another part of that kind of group that, you know, you don't he's a free agent right uh, so we've the you know what happens there but i mean are, he said he wants to come back which is yep. you know pretty standard part of the course uh did he say that the, do the Cavs have any sense of that they want to bring him back or do they want to look in a different direction so this is what kobe said today um and again you're right kara said that he would like to be back and i thought that was actually pretty telling right because as a free agent going into this offseason, he easily could have been like, hey, this is something that my agent's going to take care of. I don't want to get into that sort of thing. And he went all in. He was like, hey, this is somewhere that I want to be. I see something special brewing here. I really, really like J.B. Bickerstaff and like the kind of core um, that they're putting together and the kind of culture that they're putting together. So I thought that was actually pretty important that Karis said what he said. Um but in terms of like what Kobe said earlier today, um, he basically said like he was aware that that Karis said what he said and that they would be fortunate to have him back. And he's a big part of what we were doing. And he also said like he's a big reason why at the trade deadline the Cavs didn't do anything because they knew that he was going to have a big role in the postseason, both offensively and defensively. And if the Cavs were going to do anything at the trade deadline in February, like Karras was the one who was going to have to go to match those salaries and to like actually entice a team to take something of value back. 
You know what I mean? So the sense that I get, and I've been reporting this for, you know, months at this point, there is mutual interest. Karras wants to be back. The Cavs want him back. He's extension eligible. I don't believe that the Cavs would give him the four-year, $101 million contract that he is up for. Um, I think if they bring him back, it would be at a lesser number that's a little bit more team-friendly. Um, maybe they give him more dollars at the front of it, and it's like a shorter-term deal that allows him to hit free agency again when he's 30, 31 years old. Um, but the sense that that I get is that the Cavs do want Karras back, and they value his versatility, his adaptability, his team-first mindset, his willingness to sacrifice— and the, the 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 kind of role that he can take on for this team, especially if one of Darius or Donovan is missing or if one of Darius or Donovan's in foul trouble, like they need the shot creation and the playmaking that Karras theoretically brings to the table. Yeah, would, I mean, I, obviously everything takes two to tango. And if there's, you know, contract right. issues, or that's, that's always going to be part of it. But yeah. it sounds like Karras would be a good fit back in Cleveland. Well, I think the other thing, Hayden, the other thing to consider here is they almost backed themselves into a corner by not trading Karras at the deadline, because the way that it is set up going into the offseason for them is that they're not a tax team, but they're also not a cap space team. They're like in between. So they have the bird rights of Karras Levert that allows them to like go into the tax and over the tax to re-sign him. But like the truth is, if they let him walk in free agency, they don't have the vehicle to replace him or at least the caliber of player that he is. The only thing that they have is the mid-level exception, $12.2 million. And if we admit that Karras is like an 18 to $20 million player, like if he walks in free agency, the Cavs can't go out and get themselves an 18 to $20 million player to replace him. So bringing him back and then using the mid-level exception on another player is probably the best um, use of that particular resource. So you're saying that basically when they didn't trade him, they were kind of committing to him long-term. Essentially. Yeah. Just because of their salary cap situation. Okay. Because otherwise you're letting him go and you're filling like we believe coming into this offseason that they have a hole that they desperately need to fill and it yeah, needs to be a two way wing. Yep. So their way of doing that is they've got two ways of doing that. One. Well, three, actually three ways of doing that. One is with the mid-level exception, the twelve point two million dollar mid-level exception you theoretically could get a starter caliber player with that kind of money. Um, The second is exploring sign and trades. It's taking some of your quote unquote expendable pieces. Like Jetty Osman has a very, very valuable contract. Um, Isaac Okoro, I think has value around the NBA. So taking some of the quote unquote expendable pieces, aggregating them together, and sending them away in a sign and trade for a free agent that the Cavs can't afford with the mid-level, right? So somebody who would want an $18 million deal or a $20 million deal or a $22 million deal. You use some of the pieces that you have, send them away, and sign the guy um, in a sign and trade. It's it's what the Cavs did with Lowry Markkinen a couple of years ago. So that's the second way. 
the third way is just like breaking up the core and sending Jared Allen away. If you find somebody who is like a starter quality, legitimate two-way wing, one of the best players in the NBA at their position, right? I don't think the Cavs are going to go that way, but if I'm just throwing a name out there, okay. If hypothetically like an OG Ananobi type becomes available, like that's something that I think the Cavs would have to consider. They'd be foolish not to. So those would be the three right. ways. But if we're like looking at that as the plan coming into the off season and like the, the mid-level exception is earmarked for that two-way wing, right? Like you need Karras back and that two-way wing. Losing Karras and only adding that two-way wing, it's like a lateral move. You know what I mean? That's not going to do anything, right? It's not. I mean, it's just rearranging the deck chairs. Right. So, okay, let's look at it. Let's look at the roster this way. You know, you said that, they, that the roster needs is not fundamentally broken, needs tweaked. Right. So let's look at the players that are coming, like, not, would, would more than likely be coming back, which is probably a good portion of them. They've got what, like ten or eleven under contract, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, again, you got the, the core four. You got potentially Karis Levert. Yeah. And then you know the bench was a big the bench was a big problem during you know during the postseason. So I mean, are you gonna? I think I think Ricky's still under contract, isn't that right? Ricky's still, still under contract. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So Ricky's under contract. So I mean. He's part of the bench, you would assume. Daddy Austin's still under contract. They could probably, they could, like you said, they could um, find a way to maybe, you know, sign and sign or trade him away in, in a deal. Um, like, what, is, what about like Dean Wade, Lamar Stevens, guys like that? Yeah, I mean, I think those are the pieces that if the Cavs go down the road of um, a sign and trade, like those guys would be most likely included in that salary aggregation. Um, and and I think, you know, if the Cavs brought them back, there would be a reason for it. There's a place for them. They have a specific role, right? Dean Wade theoretically gives you floor spacing and outside shooting, and it gives you a little bit more size at the three and the four. Um, Lamar Stevens, toughness. He holds people accountable. He uses his voice. Like the whole junkyard dog thing started because of him barking, basically. Um, but like, if the Cavs can find an upgrade, somebody that you know, as as the season went on, it was clear that like the eighth player in the rotation was going to continue to fluctuate because there just wasn't that guy that was going to give JB everything that he wanted from that position or from that role. So if the Cavs can find somebody who can give them everything they want from that spot, then I could see um, the Cavs moving on from those guys. But if they bring him back, those are team-friendly contracts that they all have, and you know that you can go to them for certain things throughout the course of the season. Right. Moving on kind of a, you know, back to the press conferences and whatnot at the end of the season. I mean, there's a lot, there's so much up in the air with the Cavaliers with in terms of, you know, every team. They're not, the playoffs aren't even over yet. So there's plenty of time to talk about free agency and signing trades and whatnot once the season's mm-hmm. over. Uh, I want to go back to kind of the, the season ending stuff. I mean, what, what were the takeaways that you had, not from Kobe, but um, 
but from the players, you know, Jared Allen spoke. Yeah. Uh, a lot of guys spoke. What were what were some of your bigger takeaways from those um, season-ending press conferences, and uh, what do you think the the mindset is going into the offseason with some of these guys? It's hard to know for sure because it seems like to me, Hayden, that the belief internally is like there were ancillary factors that the Cavs couldn't control that led to them losing the series against the Knicks. And I don't think that's completely accurate. Yeah. <laughs> I think they're looking at it saying, we were out toughed because we didn't know what to fully expect in the playoffs because we had never been there. We lost game one of the playoffs and set the tone, a bad tone for the series and lost home court advantage because we didn't know what to expect on the playoff stage and we were a little bit rattled. We didn't play well inside Madison Square Garden because it was our first road playoff test and we just had to experience that. We had to feel that. Um, and I think like all of those things are what the Cavs seem to believe played a big role in them losing the series against New York. They're looking at it saying, our defense played the way that it usually did in the regular season. They're also saying we didn't make shots. We had some opportunities and we didn't make shots because we were a little bit nervous or we were blinded by the lights or we weren't ready for the magnitude. And it just feels like to me, and this is just my sense and listening to the players and Kobe today and talking to other people around the organization, that they may not be they may not be doing the proper self-assessment after losing in the postseason because there were built-in obstacles that they were always going to face, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense, but expound upon that. So what do you mean that they don't, like, you're not, they're not taking it seriously enough or, or what? what is I, I don't purpose? know that that's the right way to put it. I don't know that is the right way to put it. I just don't know that they're going to evaluate themselves as harshly as maybe you would think for a team that lost a series 4-1 and was not competitive at all in the series, they led for 49 minutes of the entire series, all five games total. That's not that's not competitive at all. No. And no, going into the series, they were favored, and they had home court advantage, and they were the better team in the regular season. So I just don't know that they're looking at themselves internally as harshly as maybe you would expect when you have that kind of play, uh, playoff flame up. So, uh, okay. So, so that means to me that, like, don't expect much difference next year. If, if I mean, if they're not going to harshly, if they're not going to harshly criticize themselves for the way they play. I mean, Chris, I, these guys are getting clowned on national television by guys yeah. like Stephen Smith. I mean, th this was a, this was not just a, this was, this, in my opinion, like you said, if this was not just a play playoff series loss. This is a beat down by a team that wasn't that much better than you, and there right. needs to be some serious soul searching. So, I mean, yeah. how does that, how is that the takeaway that oh everything's okay? I don't think it's everything's okay. Again, like it doesn't have to be that. I think they're looking yeah. at it as multiple things can be true, um, based on the result of of the postseason and based on the result of the regular season. And again, I'm not saying that they're right for looking at it this kind of way, but I think they're looking at it saying. Okay, Darius Garland got the playoff experience that he needed. He's going to be better. 
Darius Garland's only 23 years old, and he's going to continue to evolve as a player. Evan Mobley got his first taste of the playoffs. He knows that he's got to be more physical. He knows that he's got to be stronger. Evan Mobley has already um, put a process in place to have uh, a home gym built in his downtown apartment. Um, So there's like a recognition from him that he can get better. And the Cavs believe that he's going to get better throughout the course of this offseason, and he's going to be more involved offensively. He's going to be used more as a hub offensively. And I just think they're saying to themselves, the most improvement that we can make based on what we realistically have is internal, is learning the lessons from the postseason, taking those lessons and becoming better because of them. And our young guys taking the next step in their evolution because they're still young in terms of their development. And J.B. Bickerstaff learning from his second playoff series as a head coach, what works, what doesn't work, where he needs to be quicker, the kind of schematic adjustments that may be necessary once they get into a seven-game series against another ball-dominant player like Jalen Brunson. You know what I mean? Like All of those things, I think the Cavs are looking at saying, We're going to be better because of them. And some of our mistakes in that particular series against New York were self-inflicted and they were unavoidable because it was our first time in the playoffs and we didn't fully know what to expect. And our guys just have to go through that. And that doesn't mean that everything's okay, because I think they all admit that the flame out in the postseason was disappointing and They need more spacing and they need more shooting and they need more physicality and all of those kinds of things. But I just don't think it's a sense of panic and it's a sense of overreaction to one playoff series um, in a way that they're all of a sudden going to shake up some of the stuff that they feel good about. Yeah, no, I wouldn't say that panic is the right move or overreaction is the right move. I guess what I guess you've made it more clear there, like. They're just expecting their guys to kind of take this really hard and really self-evaluate as hard. So maybe it's not maybe it's not much of an organization viewing it harshly as like the players themselves viewing. Like they're kind of putting the onus on the players themselves to kind of view this harshly. Like you don't want to. Feel That's what it seems to... like. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Okay. That's what it okay. seems like. I should. So like, yeah, like I'm sure Darius Garland. I mean, Donovan Mitchell said it after his after the you know the series. He said you know I, oh, yeah. I, I deserve I deserve the criticism. I deserve. Yeah. You know, to to have people say what they need to say, and it's on him. So, right. okay, yeah, that makes a, that makes more sense. You know, it, it, I don't think I get exactly what you're saying, and I kind of see what they're saying. Like, don't know where, like, not time to blow this thing up, not time to like go crazy. But yeah, you know, we we think our guys are gonna, you know, are gonna use that experience, use that pain, use that, you know, everything, and then to be better and to be who they are going forward. That makes sense. And again, like something could change that thinking throughout the course of this offseason. These things are fluid decisions and an opportunity could come to them that is unexpected. Somebody could request a trade in the NBA. Uh, a star could get traded and that causes a domino effect. A team fires its coach and decides to break up what they have going on. Those things happen all the time in the NBA. But it just seems like there is a belief that the the most improvement that this organization can can make this offseason, given everything that they have to work with, is internally. Because, like, given what they have to work with, that's a very, very key point here. 
They traded three first-round picks and two pick swaps and a bunch of their young, talented players for Donovan Mitchell. So it's not to say that they don't have any trade pieces, but finding another significant move out there that's going to enhance the roster that kind of way seems unlikely, given the fact that they can't trade a first-round pick, given the fact that they don't have Lowry Markinen to dangle in a trade, given the fact that they don't have Colin Sexton to dangle in a trade, and they don't have Ochai Abaji, who is a lottery pick. You know what I mean? So, yep. so I think it's understandable for them to approach it that kind of way this offseason. So as they head into the offseason officially now, I mean, it's just time for them to – Donovan said he's going to take time off, probably guys take time off. And then, you know, I, I think the hope for this team is that they really internalize this this loss and they, like like I said, they, they really take it hard and they and they use it to, you know, fuel them going forward. I mean, Evan Mobley, you mentioned the, the in-home gym. I think him putting on weight continually, I mean, that's his biggest issue It's just not having the size. Um, yeah, he's 21 years old. Yeah, Jared Allen. What'd you look like when you were 21 years old? Oh, I know. I get it. No, I look. I look (laughs) (laughs) I know. I'm. I'm with you on that. It's not. I'm not coming at Evan. I'm just saying it's. You know, that's just going to be the continuous thing with him, is to just continue to put on weight. Um, and that's going to be a big thing. Same with Jared Allen, probably after, you know, what he just endured. So, otherwise, like I said, things are kind of. At this point, it's hard to really see where things are going to go. We just kind of have mm-hmm. to wait the dominoes out and see kind of how things uh, end up in the postseason, end up going into free agency. And, you know, yeah. like last year, last year, the, the Donovan trade didn't take place until September. Right. You know, we were talking about we were talking about keeping the status quo until September. And they were going I mean, to. And they were going to. And then then things happen. Right. Right. So that very well happen again. So they could. We could be all the way up until what? It's now April. That's seven months, or what's how many months from now? September. Uh-huh. So that's like September five. is five months from now. Yeah, so five months from now, things could very well change, and you know they could they could seem like they're kind of standing pat, maybe adding a little piece here, and then all of a sudden some big thing could come along. So there's yeah. still plenty, so much time to kind of uh, kind of see where they're going to be at next year. But you know, it, it, it's. It, it's just disappointing, like you said, that everything ended this way. The team really just kind of fizzled out, and uh, it kind of put a damper yeah. on what was a really nice season for this young team. Also, like, every single pr- player that spoke, um, what day was that? Thursday. On Thursday, the day after losing, um, gave an endorsement for J.B. Bickerstaff. Yeah. And talked about his role in them becoming what they are, a 51-win team, the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference. And they pointed to his communication and the culture that he built and the accountability that he holds them to and his way of getting them to buy in and believe and all that kind of stuff. And I think that matters. Um, One other thing. I, I asked Kobe specifically today. I asked him about the Jarrett and Evan pairing. Because we talked about this the other night, Hayden. This is the modern NBA where a lot of teams are playing four out or five out. And two of the most important players that the Cavs have are playing inside the paint, very close to the basket. They are non-spacing big guys. So I said, like, did anything that happened in the series against the Knicks, like you've committed a lot to Evan, you've committed a lot to Jarrett, 
and they got pulverized by Mitchell Robinson, Julius Randle, and Isaiah Hartenstein. And your offense, like, was stuck in the mud in large part because there wasn't a lot of spacing there and because the Knicks were able to pack the paint because of the personnel that you had. So I said, did anything in that series against the Knicks change your view about Jarrett and Evan being a viable long-term pairing? Uh, two guys that you feel like can be foundation pieces for this thing moving forward. And the way that he said it to me was, when you've had the level of success that those two have had together, it's really hard to break them up based on one playoff series. There's enough data that says it works. For me, it wasn't a defensive issue against this. We were playing largely the way we were playing all year. It's all about how do we come become better on the offensive end with both of those guys out there. We were playing games in the 90s and 100s. Those are winnable games. Yeah. I mean, it's not, yeah, it sounds like they're, you know, committed to these guys. And uh, like you said, there's no reason to freak out and panic. But at the same time, if, you know, if, if something becomes available and they feel like Jared is movable, they'll do it. I think they would consider it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I don't think they're in any hurry to do it. A lot of people feel like the turnaround for this organization started when he came aboard and it gave them a defensive minded identity. It gave them uh, somebody to build this organization around. And for all of the issues that they had offensively in the series against the Knicks, and they did. And (laughs) as one coach said to me the other day, which was hilarious, they don't count stops in the NBA, Chris. They count points. <laughs> yeah, so, no. That, but, could not, that could not be more of the truth. But in fairness to like Kobe and JB, if they're going to continue to be a defensive-minded team first, and that's their identity, um, having Jarrett and Evan together allows them to be that, right? Like they become right. a different kind of team if one of Jarrett or Evan is not here. Part of what makes them so unique and special is having two defensive player of the year type players um, protecting small guards and anchoring the paint and protecting the rim and covering up mistakes on the defensive end of the floor. So even though offense has been a slog for this team at times, especially in this series against the Knicks, there is... um, some truth to the fact that it just means if if giving up a little bit offensively means the kind of defense that they can play on a nightly basis, that might be worth a trade-off, provided they can find somebody who's not Isaac Okoro as that fifth starter, right? Like, that's a big part of this, too. Like, the lack of spacing for Jarrett and Evan, the lack of offense for Jarrett and Evan in the series against the Knicks— that was um, in the spotlight more because that wing spot was such a disaster for them. Right. Well, Chris, I got, I got to, I got to be honest. The Browns are about to take a, take a pick here in the draft. Let's go. Who are they taking Hayden? Tell us. I don't know, I don't know man. You think I have an idea? I'm, <laughs> I'm not in the war room. Those guys are tight-lipped as can be. And you know, it's like I said, we should, it's disappointing that we're not talking about playoff basketball and we're back to, you know, uh, baseball, you know, I love baseball, and the Guardians are kind of struggling, but it's good to have them back. But um, 
this is kind of it for basketball in terms of regular season games and until free agency. So uh, yeah. we will watch the postseason, which will be fun. Uh, but for the Cavaliers, it is now on to 2023 slash 2024. And like I said, it's always there, there's always news everywhere in regards to the Browns. So <laughs> our, our focus will be all over the place. But yeah. all right, the Browns are on the clock. And Jalen Hyatt just went to the Tennessee uh, or went to the New York Giants. So that's probably going to piss a lot of Browns fans off. So I got to run, Chris. I appreciate you joining us. Uh, go to Cleveland.com slash Cavs. Click the blue banner at the top of the page. Uh, sign up for Chris's subtext as the uh, postseason continues and as we get into free agency and whatnot. So, Chris, thanks for all your time uh, throughout the year. And we will still be able to talk plenty throughout this offseason. But I do hope you take some time, get some rest, enjoy Elliot and the family, and, uh, and enjoy not having to you know be on the road as much. I can't wait to not set my alarm. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, it has been seven months of setting an alarm every single day, and I just, like, the first day of sleeping in without an alarm just to see how long I'm going to sleep on my own. I can't wait for that, Hayden. I'm so looking that, forward what, to that. What, what day is that? Is that tomorrow? No, it's not tomorrow because my wife is at the Little Wayne concert. Um, uh. So it's going to be Sunday morning. I've got to wake up tomorrow with Elliot, which is fine. That's okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I can't wait for that, too. You have to keep us posted on what time you wake up. <laughs> on Sunday I will. We'll be in bed. All right, Chris. Appreciate you joining us. Thank you, everybody. We will have this up shortly, and uh, we'll be able to talk to you soon here on the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. So thank you very much. Have a beautiful night. We will talk to you soon. Take care.